What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 244 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Florida Flynn Saves the Children in Sarasota episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakotansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Now, we are coming up on uh, six years since the first Q drop back in October of 2017. And in all those years, their record, the record of the entire QAnon community for actually saving children, I have to say, is pretty dismal. So uh, there are many children who remain unsaved, but um, there's at least one organization that's trying to recruit and educate people to save these children. That is America's Future, Inc. Of course, of course. Yeah. America's Future, Inc. Like, it's it's a Simpsons joke. Yeah. I mean, what, what the fuck? America's Future, Incorporated, a for-profit company. Like, you don't even know if these children are going to grow up and even like America. And at this, at this no, point... No, they're going to be communists. Yeah. At this point, they're going to rebel against your conservative ways. <laughs> so, uh, America's Future, Inc. just so happens to have, as its chairman of the board, General Michael Flynn. He's a busy boy, mm. Mikey Flynn. On August 17th, America's Future, Inc. hosted an event in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, they gave it the very generic name of the Florida State Summit 2023. But don't be fooled. The point of the summit was to promote a cartoonish conception of the problem of child exploitation and trafficking in the style of QAnon. And then encourage people to take action based upon this distorted conception of the problem. So here's how the event was described on this website. Attendees to the Florida State Summit 2023 will learn the facts and truth about the crisis of child exploitation and trafficking in the state of Florida and across the country and what they can do in their community to help end this war on children. The event will include remarks by General Mike Flynn, America's future board chair. The summit will be moderated by Lara Logan. Man, I love the idea of him as like a general in the war against demons Mm. attempting to abduct children. That's like where he is now. This is a man who was in charge of like JSOC. I know. And they've now made him like a character in Spawn. Yeah, they've made him into Florida Flynn. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah, we we discussed the possibility of flying all the way over there and going ourselves, but the thing is that some of the organizers and the participants know of us, so the yeah. chances of us getting made and getting kicked out were extremely high. We've yeah. gone to the well one too many times. Yeah. So last time I had contact with those people, one of them told me, you made fun of us on your podcast, that wasn't nice. Yeah. And um, I didn't really know what to say. I was like, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know. (laughs) But we did correspond with someone who did attend the event. And uh, the main panel was live stream. So we can sort of pick apart exactly what happened here. So and I think covering this event and sort of like uh, examining some of its uh, more interesting elements is useful because it helps us sort of uh, more closely examine the state of modern American conspiracism. neatly illustrates to the degree that like QAnon type conspiracy theories have become very normal in right-wing activism. The event also shows how these shocking stories about uh, horrifying uh, human trafficking has become a go-to strategy for recruiting activists for the conservative cause. 
The fact that this event was put on by America's Future, Inc. is interesting because it is one of the oldest conservative activist organizations in the country. So since Flynn took over in 2021, uh, the group hired his sister, Mary O'Neill, as executive director and appointed Joseph Flynn to its board of directors. Okay. Whole family's moving in. Yeah. You know, they, they totally took over. In fact, you know, uh, most of the current board of America's Future, Inc. are are mostly people we've talked about on this podcast because of their connections to QAnon. So uh, the board includes uh, Lara Logan, a former CBS journalist who got very, very pilled and then was banned from appearing on the far right news channel Newsmax because she said that world leaders dine on the blood of children. Hmm. They dine. That's a bit different than ritual, like, kind of sacrifice. It's just like, yeah, no, they set the table. They open the little bell jar. Yeah. They're like, Cornelius, uh, <laughs> uh, bring over bring over a couple more spoons, please. I'm missing my brain spoon. Let's, I would like some extra walnut sauce, please. And then they just like sit around the table being like, ah, have delectable. You se- have you seen Sound of Freedom yet? Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. James, see if you can organize a private screening in the theater downstairs after supper. Jim Caviezel looks like we've made him cry throughout the whole movie. Another member of this board is uh, Tracy Diaz. And of course, under the name Tracy Beans, she was instrumental in helping QAnon make the jump from 4chan to mainstream social media networks back in 2017. And uh, still another board member is Mike Smith. He is a former Hollywood stuntman who got really pilled after suffering from a career-ending injury. And he subsequently made the Q-pilled movie Out of Shadows. And the last third of Out of Shadows is basically an endorsement of Pizzagate, not, not just vague you know, the elites are pedophiles kind of way, but like the belief that references to food in the Podesta emails are really code words for abusing children. America's Future Inc. has a decades-long history, and I thought it was really interesting that they're willing to welcome QAnon promoters into their leadership in a time when most old conservative organizations try to keep QAnon at arm's distance. Now, the website for America's Future Inc. doesn't give a lot of information about their own history and their own origins. They say that the organization was founded in New York in 1946 and was dedicated to the promotion and preservation of American values and traditions. This included anti-communist pamphleteering, according to their description. One of America's future's earliest foes was the rising threat of communism throughout the 1940s, 1950s, and beyond. The Cold War had no greater warrior on the side of freedom. I wouldn't say throughout the 1940s because that makes it seem like you were with Hitler, like at least for the first half of that decade, but hey, just me. The Cold War had no greater warrior on the side of freedom than America's future. Calling on our nation's long tradition of political pamphleteering, we distributed millions of copies of short books and pamphlets designed to combat creeping communism on our own shores. Man, I love the Cold War. It's so cool. (laughs) Anti-communism has done so many great things for this country. Mm. It's one thing that everybody can get behind. Yeah, good luck with your medical bills. Yeah, it's a unifying unifying, uh, policy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost more important than getting rid of Nazis. Almost. (laughs) Just, it's right, sort of right under there. So, I mean, the story is, I mean, it's it's believable. I mean, the idea of like, you know, an anti-communist nonprofit founded like right at the beginning of the Cold War, that's a, you know, that's a, that tracks. But I was kind of like struck by how few details this description offers, you know, even as small as something like, okay, who are the people who founded the organization? Would you say that the organization is attempting to secure America's future for their children? Founded (laughs) in 1946? 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. They would pick that specific year. <laughs> yeah, they're like we definitely weren't doing anything before that. <laughs> but anyways, we're worried about the future, and we want to mm. save the children. Jesus Christ. So I dug into some uh, some history papers and some old newspaper articles, and I learned uh, two things. Number one, America's Future Inc. actually dates back to the late 30s, and its founder is the uh, publishing tycoon, Freak Gannett. Wow, that's so interesting they would place their foundation after World War II ended instead of right as it began. Yeah, it is odd. I mean, mm. especially they saw that they they don't credit Frank Gannett with um, their founding, which is, I don't know, if, if that that's the guy who made your organization happen, it means you'd think you'd be worth mentioning on your website one time. But Nothing to is, see here. Nothing to see here, yeah, folks. Surprisingly absent. We're just anti-communists in 1939. There's nothing to see <laughs> nothing here. Nothing suspicious about that. So Gannett got rich by um, buying these small independent newspapers and growing them and connecting them. And uh, by the 1930s, he owned the third largest newspaper chain in the country. He also became very unhappy with the presidential administration of Franklin Roosevelt after initially being Mm. a supporter. But um, this unhappiness was probably due to the fact that Gannett's business was being impacted by New Deal legislation. In the most notable instance, uh, the newly formed National Labor Relations Relations Board found that a Gannett-owned newspaper engaged in unfair labor practices by discouraging membership with the Newspaper Guild, surveilling union activity of employees, and harassing Guild members until they quit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gannett's company was subsequently ordered to rehire the discharged Guild members with back pay. And this radicalized them, apparently. Uh-huh. There's like, I guess there's no there's no conclusive evidence that, that this is what happened, but the sequence of events and the fact that I even read some, some contemporaneous sort of like labor newsletters that basically said the same thing. In 1937, which also happens to be the same year that this labor dispute started, Gannett founded an organization dedicated to opposing FDR and New Deal legislation called the National Committee to Uphold Constitutional Government. Now, among the handful of conservative organizations that sprung up during this time, it was the most successful in blocking FDR's agenda. And uh, other captains of industry who supported Gannett's crusade included uh, Robert L. Lund, who is the president of the Manufacturers Association, and Robert E. Wood. He, he was the president of Sears, Roebuck & Company. And uh, they were willing to spend enormous amounts of money for their fight. I found a uh, 1938 newsletter from the Labor Research Association, which claimed that the organization spent $328,000 in less than a year, which is the equivalent of over $7 million today. Yeah, it's better than paying your employees. I know, yeah. It seems seems like it. it would be just cheaper to treat your employees in ways that comply with the law. But think of the back end. Once you crush the unions, then you're saving money. I mean, it's either that or he just he just was not getting used to being pushed because, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the labor movement had a friend in the federal government. And that was that was just intolerable. So he would sooner burn his fortune than be pushed around by these guys. Thank God we've got another FDR in office right now. Hmm. There's a uh, 1965 uh, article in the Journal of American History, and it detailed the history of the organization by historian Richard Pullenberg. It noted that, quote, the committee played a prominent part in the defeat of Roosevelt's attempts to enlarge the Supreme Court, reorganize the executive branch of government, and purge the Democratic Party of conservatives. And in 1938, Gannett started publishing an anti-FDR magazine called America's Future. 
Uh-huh. That same Journal of American History article stated that the magazine was founded to get around restrictions related to running a nominally nonpartisan organization. The committee was inhibited by its nonpartisan status, which did not permit it openly to endorse political candidates. Late in July, however, Gannett founded the magazine America's Future. He thought it prudent to keep the publication, quote, entirely separate from the committee, but hoped it would be a powerful implement in fighting the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Also in 1938, Gantt started publishing books through a company called America's Future, Inc. And uh, that's basically the start. And I very, um, again, I, it is unclear why they keep claiming that it was founded in 1946 when it, when it has a history that's longer than that. And I noticed that there are lots of news outlets when writing about America's Future, Inc. They kind of repeat this 1946 founding claim. I, I maybe, they're, maybe they're using, you know, founded in a very narrow, specific kind of way. And mm-hmm. there's something happened in 1946. But even then, it's simply not true that it was like, you know, it started in 1946. It started in the late 30s. And it was started by this publishing magnet by uh, that is not mentioned at all on the current website of America's Future, Inc. Look at us. We are under the yoke of FDR. And look at Germany thriving under Adolf Hitler. Mm. He knows how to take care of the unions. <laughs> Travis, why? Why on earth would we reference something that happened in 1938? This mm. was four lifetimes ago. It has no business in the blurb <laughs> on our website. Why is there an alien <laughs> landing on earth to tell us this? <laughs> the fuck kind of voice is that? These people are alien. I mean, obviously, if you you know, you poke a couple holes in them, you know, a giant cockroach in a human suit's going to pop out. Just like Meet the Applegates. Remember that movie? Nope. So throughout the years, they've been uh, kind of a pioneer in reactionary propaganda. All the way back in 1944, they published a clearly fake conversation with a supposedly black hotel maid to promote the idea that there were these welfare queens who would rather subsist on Roosevelt's handouts than work. And this, uh, this propaganda caused the NAACP to rebuke America's Future, Inc. Now we have some guy with a dyed red beard doing the same bullshit. It's yeah. cool. I love history. <laughs> Starting in 1958, they launched what they called the Textbook Evaluation Committee, and its purpose was to identify and root out supposedly subversive elements contained in school textbooks. So this was really a precursor to Moms for Liberty. They Again, they seemed a pretty ahead of their time in these ways. They've also been really active in denying the effects of climate change over the decades. And uh, interestingly, I learned that uh, Michael Flynn is not the first former military intelligence officer to lead America's Future, Inc. So uh, Robert Morris, who served as a Navy intel officer during World War II, and he was called one of America's foremost authorities on intelligence and national security. And uh, he became the chairman of the board of America's Future, Inc. in 1989 and the president in 1995. So this is, um, it's just weird. I don't know. I I'm, don't quite know why I had to go through so much difficulty to find out the history of this organization. When, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, if I go to Carl's Jr., uh, the website for Carl's Jr., they're going to tell me yes. all about Carl Karcher's uh, hot dog stand and how he grew that into a fast food empire. I'm going to learn all about Carl's Jr. And how he was a Nazi. Hey, wait yeah. a minute. How, <laughs> how do you know so much about Carl's Jr.? Uh, sometimes when I go to Carl's Jr., I read like the little plaques that they have on the wall that talks about the history. So yeah, that's actually uh, most of Travis's reading is plaques yeah, and yeah. Uh, fast food. Well, I mean, he's really he's he's going back to the olden days when we didn't have phones and you and if yeah. you wanted to read something while you were eating, you were sort of uh, beholden to whatever was printed on the back of the fries tin, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> or the cereal box. I mean, that was most of my reading growing up. Placemats, uh, back of the cereal box mazes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Back of the cereal box mazes. What is going... <laughs> why, why would you... There's no possible... <laughs> All right. Well, in the past, uh, America's Future Inc. was run by these business tycoons who just hated the thought of the, the government cracking down on them for whatever reason. Nowadays, it's run by QAnon promoters. And uh, that probably explains why the organization has pivoted towards saving the children. Last year, America's Future launched something they call the Project Defend and Protect Our Children. And the core tenets, according to them, is to expose, educate, and eradicate child trafficking. Now, if they were sincere, that'd be a noble goal, but I don't think they're serious about this. And this is partly due to the advisory board that oversees Project Defend and Protect Our Children. They call this advisory board the Little Flower Advisory Board. I don't know why, but that's what they call it. Oh, what the fuck? This guys, is getting bad. What is wrong with these people? And uh, one member of this board is Liz Crokin, and she is an OG Pizzagate and QAnon promoter. Famously, she is the woman who is responsible for pilling uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Another member of this advisory board is uh, Brian Gamble, and uh, he is the president of Red Pill Roadshow, at least he was when it still existed, and uh, they hosted a couple of QAnon live events that we've covered on the podcast. So QAnon promoters, out-and-out QAnon promoters just crawling all over this organization. The event I'm covering for this episode is just the first in a series of gatherings that America's Future Inc. Um, has and will host on the same topic. For example, the day after this event, they had another special event for realtors and first responders who want to be able to uh, identify and fight child trafficking. Yes. I, I don't yes, like yes, where yes. this is going. I'll sell you a house, but is that really your daughter? <laughs> I know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you have some questions for me about <laughs> about the central air, but I have some questions <laughs> for, for you <laughs> about the DNA of your daughter. <laughs> Fucking hell, this country is so demented. It's so demented. Realtors. Realtors. Realtors, yeah. The front lines yeah. of fighting human trafficking is somebody who uh, can get certified online. Always be closing the zipper of child sex traffickers. <laughs> Jesus. That's that was more graphic good. than it needed to be. It's not good. I fucked up. Here's how the real estate agent uh, event for, the, for fighting human trafficking was described. Learn the tactics of predators and traffickers and leverage your knowledge gained from this program to spot a trafficking house, identify a trafficked victim, and how to intervene and file a report. This is a masterclass in anti-trafficking strategies recommended for real estate agents and brokers, first responders, and home appraisers. I can imagine like a home appraiser just, you know, walking through a house, making notes, and then deciding that, you know, actually your children are being trafficked and you need to, they need to be rescued. Yeah. They're like, they got one eye on the marble countertops <laughs> and the other eye on your children to see if they're exhibiting signs of fear. But uh, the real money is an upcoming event that will be hosted uh, this November, and it's called Fight Child Sex Trafficking Comprehensive Equipping Course. Oh, my God. As it is a uh, six-day-long course. It's, uh, it's pretty long, and it costs $650 to attend. Yes, but when you leave, you will be the Van Helsing using your arbalest <laughs> to uh, pierce pedophiles. 
That's that's essentially what it promises. Like if you were, if like you watched Sound of Freedom and you thought this representation of Tim Ballard is so fucking cool, I want to be just like him. Then yeah. this is basically the course for you. So in just a few days of training, it'll teach you, you know, how to be a pedo hunter. And this is what it says that it will teach you. I got to say, before we go into this bullet point list, it, it seems sort of like, uh, you know, not maybe the best for business if you as a realtor are going into every situation first with an eye on whether there's trafficking being, you know, if somebody comes in to buy a house and they feel like, you know, maybe the realtor is kind of suspicious of them. They're asking weird questions about the children and all of this stuff. You're probably not going to be inclined to buy a house from that person, uh, therefore leading to uh, an absence of a commission. So it sort of seems, uh, you know, counterproductive if, you know, your job is to sell houses. Yeah, but having a shitty job in this dumbass economy, not as cool as being an angelic child saver. A hero, Jake. You could be eternal. Mm, I, I mean, so. you, you couldn't because you're Jewish, so you're yeah. one of the child traffickers, but they could be eternal for outing you. Yeah, I'm just imagining like open house today and the realtor like opens the door with like a, you know, a sidearm equipped to, you know, yeah. equipped to their belt and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, night vision goggles or, you know, whatever other gear they, they think is cool and, and you know, want to purchase on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Real-time, ground-truth vantage into the criminal enterprise of sex trafficking, gangs, and organized crime. Who is doing what, where, and how? Tradecraft for acquiring information and conducting rescues of trafficking victims. Interactive training on counter-surveillance, surveillance detection routes. Conducting a safe pickup and transport. Interactive training on planning a rescue operation. What a real safe house is and what it must have. How to build trust with a victim-slash-survivor to skillfully evaluate their situation. This is just so everybody wants to LARP as an agent. Yeah. Everybody be wants to be people's children. Yeah, everybody wants <laughs> to be they're like abduction. fuck this. They're like fuck this job. Like I can be I can be yeah. Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be fighting a war. Everybody just we've we've somehow hammered hammered in this idea that just existing is like not good enough. You have to be in your own movie where you are the hero. Honey, I just got cold cocked by the uh, realtor who came over to assess <laughs> our home. So yeah, so this this Florida summit, it's really it's really the entry point for one of many other events that the organizers hope to you know funnel the audience into. My source who attended the Florida summit told me that there were about 500 people in attendance and there were mostly older women. He told me that he counted maybe 10 people who looked to be in their 20s. Before the event, they screened Mike Smith's sequel to Out of Shadows. This is a movie called Into the Light, and it's not very interesting if you're already familiar with conspiracist narratives, but it is notable that they're basically just uh, showing the films, promoting the films of an unambiguous Pizzagate promoter. In fact, in her opening remarks, Mike Flynn's sister, uh, Mary O'Neill, gave a full-throated endorsement to Mike Smith and his Pizzagate-promoting films. Tonight, of course, our newest board member, Michael Smith. Mike, Mike's movie, Into the Light, which many of, of you watched earlier. If you haven't, please pass it on and watch it. It's a very important message. And his blockbuster, Out of Shadows. They're both masterpieces of filming, filmmaking, and a riveting productions exposing the deception tactics used to manipulate reality to control our lives. 
We need to reinstate the bingo halls. <laughs> we, we need to bring back bridge for these poor, we poor need, people. We actually just need to bring back Blockbuster. You know, can you imagine? Can you imagine going through the aisles and you're looking at the, all the white boxes behind, and you're like, "Hmm, the client, no, already, already seen this. Uh, hmm, uh, training day, uh, it's rated R. I won't be allowed to watch that. And then, ooh, Out of Shadows. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Are there any? Are there any copies behind? Oh, we better check the front counter and see if somebody returned one. Well, Blockbuster was shut down because it's a bit like Wayfair. You could buy children. They, they were the movies with like Emily. That's a French girl you can yeah, buy. They, yeah, they came in the cases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had to laminate little the children. Little shrunken children. Little <laughs> tiny shrunken children, like shrinky dinks. You put them in the oven, they shrink down no, to a nice No, you put them in little... water. <laughs> you put them in water <laughs> and they sleep expand. Inside. But they look kind of bloated and malformed and like, they're not really like children, but it's like, you tell yourself. You tell yourself. Yeah, you grow in water. You fill, you fill the bathtub with water. You put in the little tiny rubber children and then and then you put God. you put it in and it grows to full size and it's yours. I don't. I don't like it. Before the event really kicked off, Lara Logan introduced a woman named Lynn's Piper Loomis to say a prayer. And uh, Logan used this uh, introduction to set the tone of the event. Now I'd like to ask Lynn's Piper Loomis if she will come up and say a prayer for us. Um, Lynn's is a survivor of satanic ritual abuse. She has a book if you want to read about it. She's one of the people, I guess they say, doesn't exist, right? Because it's just a conspiracy theory. Okay. So we're Good. back to the 80s. And oh. the graphics are also back to the 80s. Yeah. That is some like dare mm-hmm. era stuff. I mean, I guess we're all we're all just reliving our childhoods and teenage years mm-hmm. as the empire falls. Mm-hmm. So why not? A lot of the panel consisted of telling horrifying stories of child sex slavery. And the level of detail was, I don't know, for me, sometimes gratuitous. Uh, I got the feeling that the point was to shock and horrify rather than actually inform. And since the, they gave no corroborating evidence about these stories, I mean, they were basically impossible to fact check. One of the wildest stories was told by a woman named Tina Boz, and she is with the organization, the Association for the Recovery of Children. She told a story about a child who was abused and passed around and enslaved throughout her childhood by multiple people. And I don't know how much truth there might be to the story. What we know from these, these people, typically what happens is that they take some genuine stories of child sex trafficking and that kind of thing, and they add embellishments on it and then they just know that no one's going to be able to uh, check whether or not they're, what they're saying is actually strictly true. But if it were true, it would be the most horrifying case of child abuse ever recorded. And the story got more and more unbelievable as she continued to talk. But here's how she opened. Her parents ran out of money, and she was the youngest. And at seven years old, her father sold her for a payoff to a child pornographer here in Florida who had a house with 13 children, all ages seven to 12. And he would film them for pornography and sell the pornography. And he would also sell the children to high-end buyers who would come to the house to rape the children because it was all kept under wraps. Her father was connected with this man in business. There's no way 
that there isn't a circuit of, of businessmen that are participating in this behavior. I don't know. It's like, why, why are you saying these things, not naming names or giving details? Where is this psychopath with a, you know, a baker's dozen of children in his house? There are so many real stories that you could point to that are verifiable and you could say the names. But the problem is, is that usually if you have a story about horrible child abuse, you know about it because the perpetrators were caught and punished for the crimes, yeah. um, which does no use to them. You know, nobody in this crowd wants to hear that there are people out there that are doing, you know, absolutely just awful, awful things to children, teenagers, and that they've been caught and are, you know, serving jail sentences. It works better when the threat is this vague sort of ambiguous uh, boogeyman that's sort of out there waiting to be caught, maybe by you. In Tina Baza's telling, when this child turned 12, she was sold to another human trafficker who then arranged for her to be abused in hotel rooms with men. And at this point is when the story like really started to fall apart for me. But the children were dressed in burlap bags. That's how they were delivered to these motels. Don't tell me that the motels didn't know that these kids were trafficked. I don't. I think they would just dress them in normal clothes. Yeah, this is, she's been listening to one too many uh, Jake stories, uh, as in my Epstein Island story, where the children were dressed in burlap sacks. But I yeah. made that up because it was so ridiculous and, you know, mm -hmm. I believe they meant said to be a joke. Property of the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's one breath away from saying property of the Clinton, yeah. you know, stamped on it. I mean, come on. Yeah, a burlap bag is nowadays much harder to acquire than children's clothes. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't know exactly where I would go to go acquire a child size burlap sack. What? You haven't been to the burlap bag section at Target? There's a whole <laughs> section now next to next to the children's clothing. Anyways, this pedophile put a disc on the gramophone and he served the children cocaine wine. It's like everybody knows the best way the best way to keep your your traffic child uh, from detection by the authorities is by placing them in a big burlap sack where they are wriggling and screaming like. Come on. It is hard to, it's like, because they know what they're doing, you can't really make fun of this. It's not funny, but isn't it funny to imagine a child wearing a barrel? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I do want to say, I do want to say one thing. It's like one element that I guess is at least conceivably true is the idea that hotels are used for sex trafficking. Yeah. Of course. But they're dressing the kid up like it, so it could be their kid. Like there's not, they're not even, it's like, why, why the details that aren't even that horrifying? Oh, they're burlap bags. Why? why? <laughs> you're just, this is just for fun. Yeah. You sick fuck. You're making shit up for fun. If you are a real sick fuck, it seems like it would call attention to your operation. Um, it just, yeah, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. But I do want to say that, like, according to a 2018 Polaris survivor story, more than 60% of sex trafficking victims said that they were forced to sell sex from hotels. So, you know, this is something that is certainly worth concern about. And it's worth um, pointing out that, you know, people have argued that even these hotel chains should be able to be sued by these trafficking victims because they're so negligent in allowing uh, traffickers to operate. Album. So, you know, that 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 element, at least, is conceivably true. And the important element here is that we're not talking about children. We're talking about people who were sex trafficked, which means they were forced into prostitution. They have a pimp, probably, or, or some, mm. some kind of person like that, yeah. keeping them in this situation. So, again, not children in burlap bags for the majority yeah. here, I'm pretty sure. So, in Tina Baza's story, it got much, much worse for the young victim. At age 13, I think 12 or 13, um, 
she was, she was sold as a personal sex slave along with another child that was in part of her, part of her group. Then um, she was actually sold to a member of a crime ring. I, I can't get into details on that because the case is, is, is too delicate, but she was owned by a member of a crime ring. Um, that man was assassinated by another man who took her as a slave, chained her by her neck in a pool house where she never saw the light of day for two years. Okay. What the fuck, man? What the fuck is wrong with these people? I don't know. Because, like, is, I mean, this this whole story, I was like, I read, uh, when I was, like, researching, uh, like, you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn Maxwell, I read a lot of victim statements and lawsuits about what they experienced with that. And it was never like this. You know, it was it was horrifying and abusive um, in unspeakable ways. But just the, I don't know, the, just the, there's this Hollywood element to, the, to her story that just is outside the realm of reality. Now, at this point, uh, the story gets into Taken territory. So Tina claims that uh, the child was chained by the neck and sold in an auction that had uh, approximately 100 bidders. Then she was sold to an auction. I was shocked. What do you mean an auction? Yeah, I was sold. Uh, there were 20 of us who were chained by our necks uh, with chains down to handcuffs behind our backs. And we were held in a storage unit um, chained to a pipe that went across the ceiling. And, and the chains were really tight, so we couldn't lay down. And then we were taken to an auction. What was the auction? Where was it? Here, here, in floor, here, close. I can't tell you where. In a warehouse with hundreds Jackson. of people, hundreds of people bidding to buy them. Okay, case closed. Florida's awful. Your state sucks. <laughs> we need to get rid of uh, the, the whole state. Either that or the fact that you can't share any fucking details because this is quote-unquote delicate means you're full of shit. We were sold in an auction. It was on a large, expensive boat. And one of one of the traffickees' fathers came and he fought uh, the head trafficker. Uh, he had two knives. Uh, they fought to the death. Yeah. Like, so much of this, the chain it's along the ceiling. Yeah, the chain along the ceiling, the storage container. I mean, this really does feel like something... Out of taken now. Not, that's not to say that this has never happened. There are, you know, stories. That, there are stories where, like that horrible family that kept all of the girls locked in different rooms in their in their houses. Like that was their the, own father. Yes, exactly, exactly. There there are stories where where kids are, you know, restrained and kept. But nothing on this, at least, that's ever been reported uh, that we know on this scale of no. you know Hollywood esque uh, style villainy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's like what in the warehouse in Florida there are just hundreds of people bidding on children I mean that would be I think the like the most horrifying uh, child sex trafficking uh, crime ever recorded it's like if you know about this why can't you like you know find one of these hundreds of people who participated in this it's just it just it's, it's it's very hard to believe why can't they just do a whole conference about how we don't know what were on those dvds in the safe that the fbi got off epstein island this is real shit that that is being hidden yeah mm. and it's like you gotta do this instead you're helping them yeah, you're you, helping them get away with this shit. Yeah, it's like, oh, like the Florida police are like, hey, Sarge, uh, we've got a hundred limousines uh, showing up to a warehouse uh, on the docks. Uh, seems fishy. Should we check it out? Nah. This is going to be a GTA mod now. <laughs> so it got worse because the, the child, according to Tina Boz, was sold and then chipped and then tattooed with a barcode. 
doesn't make sense. Barcodes aren't. Barcodes are needed for it when there's industrial production to recognize like hundreds, thousands of items. God damn it. But then they took me to a cage where I waited for the person who bought me and they chipped me in my arm with a GPS locator and they tattooed a barcode on my arm. It was 12 characters long. It said white female for sex or labor and my code number. And it was literally on her arm. What? It doesn't. That's not even how barcodes work. <laughs> and the other thing is that, well, shit, now you've got some really remarkable physical evidence of its truth. Why can we can we see this barcode? I mean, is this Anything. I mean you've got you've got some you've got some hard evidence of that this is true. This evil cabal that's selling these uh these children like they're watermelons kind of made a stupid move when they decide to um, you know, permanently uh, mark these children with tattoos and you know be able to trace everything back to them. So why there should be <laughs> Lots of lots of evidence of this. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah, I know when I commit a heinous crime, I definitely want to uh, create a permanent marking on the victim that traces uh, directly back to me and my crime ring. Barcodes. This is like barcodes, crime rings, they're warehouse crates. They're imagining <laughs> the industrialization of child. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's. I was trying to put my finger on. It. I was like, is this a scene from Taken or what? But no, it's just it's this. way bigger than it's, that. Yeah, it's it's it is. It's exactly that. It's fantasizing about the yeah industrialization of a you know of a real of a real crime but none of the real crimes are you know sort of exhibited here and tina's telling uh, the child managed to free herself and by the way, she started like speaking in I sentences. So it's just very. Yeah, well, what she's doing is that she's sort of, she claims that she's relaying what she was told. Right? Sure, sure, sure. She's fucking channeling it. She got brave. I love this girl. She found a letter opener in a, in a drawer. He, had her... he chained her to his bed. He chained her to his bed. He chained her to his bed. And she was held there. But when he would go away, she, found, she would search the drawer. She found a letter opener. When he came back, and this was several days later, she jumped on top of him and put, put the letter opener to his neck and said, unchain me. And he did. He unclasped her neck, uh, her slave collar. And then she cut the, G the GPS out of her arm with the letter opener. And she ran naked to a gas station that she could find. I just, like PTA moms getting together to fucking come up with this shit. Fuck you. So, in Tina's telling, the child finally escapes, joins a church, but somehow, even then, the nightmare doesn't end. Because this child was trafficked again by a church leader and a law enforcement officer. And, according to Tina, even worse, the child was tortured and had her blood harvested while she was being tortured. This is just an expression of the adrenochrome myth. This didn't happen. This is made up. She went through a lot of torture. One of the things that was done to her by this church leader and this law enforcement officer is she was harvested for blood. And I said, what was that? What was that? How did they do that? Well, they took me for, for seven nights in a row. They took me to an underground medical facility at night. Every, the whole building was shut down. It was locked. We went down to the bottom floor. I would lay on a metal table, and they would torture me and electrocute me while they were giving me a blood transfusion. Describe that. She described it in detail. They had bags and bags of blood, whole carts full of blood on this side, and they were infusing blood into this arm, electrocuting her and torturing her and cutting her and draining the blood out of this arm and putting it into bags of blood. She was being harvested for her blood. She died. She died. 
during that experience and they resuscitated her to continue the process. Come on, lady. I mean, they're pumping blood, other people's blood into her now to use her as a factory to, to adrenochromize the blood. I mean, this is fucking bonkers. I wonder if these these folks are morally okay with lying because they see this serving as a parable. You know, it's it's almost like it, the story has the kind of biblical elements to me where it's like for seven days she lay on the table like, uh, you know, being electrocuted, one arm filled with blood one arm filled with electrodes seven days and seven nights it's just like i don't know i feel like even if i'm in an if i'm in an audience and i'm here for this i'm like well you don't have any other details you don't have any pictures of the mark where she cut the chip out uh you don't have pictures of the barcodes you don't have like uh, i don't know this is just this went from like kind of fun to like kind of not i want to go to that conference and every single person there <laughs> i mean <laughs> I wonder how much of this that uh, Tina Boz actually believes because, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of like when there's this uh, part in the, the trickle down series I did when I talked about 19th century American feminists who were rightly outraged by the way that women were, were being treated and uh, sexually exploited and assaulted and trafficked. And so they knew what was happening. And so they sort of um, they decided that they would you know get these stories out into the newspapers and they were fine with sometimes exaggerating what they found and what they knew and what they investigated for the sake of this activism. And I wonder if these people are just like, well, you know, it's like, it's, it's basically happening like this. And even if I, even if I spice up a few details to titillate the boomers who, uh, who come to us and talk to, and want to hear about sex trafficking, that's fine because it's good for a good cause. Yeah, but they are making up extreme torture, sexual torture, right. and rape fantasies for each other. These are fucking sick it people. It is pretty sick. It, I mean, it, it really is like, you know, I mean, they're going together in a, uh, in a place in um, Florida to tell each other these spooky horror stories, you know. <laughs> Might as well have a, a fire in the middle of the room so they can, you know, scare each other. Yeah, I'd love a fire in the middle of the room and then it spreads and they're all <laughs> So finally, Tina gets to the point of her story, and that's that this child only suffered these horrors because everyday people saw her and did nothing. But this was not a mistake that other people should make. Nobody knew you existed. If we had known, we would have come for you. And she said, but people saw me. And I said, all I can say is they didn't know. She goes, what about the people in the church where I was going to the church where the youth leader was trafficking me? People saw me every day. Why didn't they do something? They didn't know or they didn't see the signs or they didn't want to get involved and they passed by her every day. That cannot be us. That cannot be us. I mean, the implication here is actually pretty horrifying that like there is this unimaginable horror of children being tortured, their, their childhood essentially robbed for the sake of the most evil and sick and depraved people in the world. And they're all around us. And I could intervene. I could stop it. I could recognize the signs and save a children from these, you know, mind bending terrors. But I just don't. And for some reason, I don't know. It's like it, it, you can sort of see the way this acts as an impact to action if you it gets to the point where if you don't act you're almost complicit in the most horrible crimes 
Now, Tina runs this organization, ARC, with her husband, Basil Boz, which is a great name. He should have been a clown or something. Basil Boz. Yep. But uh, he claimed that there were only five trustworthy anti-trafficking NGOs that they worked with. Very simple. If we do not, then who will? Because I'm telling you something, nobody else is doing it. Out of all the NGOs around America that have all of a sudden popped up because trafficking and anti-trafficking is fashionable now. And they have great marketing teams and they take great grants and they pay great salaries and they make a lot of money and they do that, nothing. We know because we go behind the veil. I'll give you an example. Out of literally a thousand NGOs in America, we only work with five. That's it, five because they are accountable and they do what they say they're going to do. Wow. So you're just going to discredit people doing something instead of throwing conferences for money in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, here's the weird thing. I kept waiting for him to state which five, which are the only five credible NGOs, but he never stated it. It was very strange. I don't know. I feel like if I thought that, I don't you know, obviously NGOs can be shitty. I'm not endorsing anyone, but he's stating no. that there are only five good ones. Okay. What are they? You just never said. Basil Boz also said that mere awareness isn't enough to solve the issue of sex trafficking. And I do agree with that, but I'm, I, I'm a little concerned about what his uh, solution is instead. Basil Boz, Basil Boz, Beelzebub, Beelzebub. And most of you realize that awareness, while somewhat effective, is not bringing children home. How many of you remember when we used to put the picture of missing kids on milk cartons? Do you remember that? So you would look at the milk carton in the picture, and you would think you did something about it by looking at it. You felt good about that by looking at it. But at the end of the day, what happened in that milk carton? It went in the trash. The fact is, a child does not come home until there are boots on the ground in a community that physically go out and go up against the evil and bring that child home. At least looking at the back of a picture of a milk carton, you know, only cost you about two bucks or so. These folks paid $650 to go and do nothing. What about the boots on the ground in Afghanistan that America sent to collaborate with people who had child Mm. slaves? That is an actual reality. Your boots on the ground. Fuck you. He's heating up. Right. He then offered a handful of action steps that he says an individual could uh, do instead, such as running operations if the police aren't interested in doing it. Create a community policy, a community policing program between yourselves and your law enforcement partners. And if they don't have the bandwidth to do so, then be prepared to run operations on your own legally. Yeah, we all know how well community policing uh, apparatuses go. Well, I mean, but he's basically saying, like, be your own anti-sex trafficking jump team or organize one for yourself. I don't know. This is going to end poorly. Also, this is completely ignoring cries from help from real trafficking organizations saying stuff like QAnon and people who are engaging in exactly this are actually flooding the lines with false information. They're getting in the way of real trafficking investigations. Uh, No mention of that, though. No. You know, something else I thought was interesting that wasn't mentioned. It's like something that an individual with a lot of money and time on their hands could conceivably do to help. Uh, prevent sex trafficking is become a foster parent, you know, run a foster home. And what that does is that it provides a safe place for a child who's in a very tough situation. And um, you know, if the child is otherwise on the street, feels like they have nowhere to go, they are highly at risk at being trafficked or abused in some way. But that's not like, you know, scoping out uh, uh, sex trafficking houses and like, you know, running ops. That's not quite as cool. 
Late in the program, Lara Logan stated that some Hollywood films, and she didn't specify which ones, are made for the purpose of training children to be sex slaves. Is that a lot of people don't realize that these books and these films are not just for someone's sexual gratification. They have another purpose. They are training manuals for our children. Those videos and movies that come out of Hollywood, the normalization of sex toys and different sexual fetishes and sadist why are they teaching six-year-olds about sadistic sexual um, techniques? Because they're training them for their jobs. And that is not something I made up. That's a very real thing. The kid that gets to lie on their back and be raped to death is lucky because these other kids have to work. What? If, why, why? Uh, First of all, the fuck is wrong with you? Parents aren't going to take their kids to see Taken. No, one, she, they're talking two, about like Monsters, three. Inc. I mean, these people are fucking out of their minds. Yeah. There's just no way around it. It's, it's pretty psychotic. I mean, what possesses a former, you know, high-level journalist to get in front of hundreds of people and say it would be fortunate for a child to be raped to death compared to what other things they might suffer in these uh, in these sex trafficking horrors. It just is like, it really is. They're all they're all getting around. They're trying to raise their adrenaline levels and trying to shock each other because that's, that's the only thing I think makes them feel alive. Damn, yeah. Near the end of the two-hour event, General Flynn presented a signed baseball bat to a woman named Jerry Perna. And she was presented with this bat because her nephew, Matthew Perna, was a January 6th defendant who uh, committed suicide while awaiting sentencing. Obviously, very tragic. But um, I wasn't completely clear on what this had to do with the topic of the event, January 6th. Or a baseball or bat. Or a baseball How bat. How the fuck? Yeah, I don't... Oh, my God. To fend off your next attacker. I guess. I don't know what. So Jerry Perna, after accepting the bat, lamented that Matthew wasn't alive to see all the supposed facts about trafficking coming to light. He was passionate about many, many things. He educated me on child traffic trafficking, the evils of Hollywood, our government, everything. Many years ago, he was decades ahead of his time. And now that he's gone and so many of these things have come to light, so many of his friends and my family often have conversations. Remember when Matt said that? Remember when Matt told us about this? And I think the, the hardest thing for me is it's breaking my heart that truth is coming out, but it didn't come out while he was still with us. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I feel, I feel this episode has really taken something from me. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. I mean, I wish Matthew would, didn't feel so despairing that uh, he felt the need to take his own life, you know? But, um, yeah, too bad. Finally, General Flynn ended with a call to action. It requires a lot of sacrifice. It requires getting up a little bit earlier. It requires, you know, doing a little bit more. It requires a Saturday and a Sunday and going to work, right, to do something else. It requires effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires discipline. It requires a perseverance. So all these things that we're involved in and, and the way out of this thing, the way out of this mess that we are in is for us to stand up step up, begin to speak up, and begin to say what it is that's on our mind. I mean, it is about we the people. It is about who we are. This is what a constitutional republic is about, is getting involved as citizens. You decide on this, all this stuff that we're, 
presenting and, and uh, for those that will be attending this, you know, you decide. How do you want to get involved? That was really, I think, the point of the, the conference, and that was the big takeaway, is that there are unimaginable horrors happening all the time, all around you, constantly, and you don't do anything about it, either because you don't see it, even though it is, in fact, happening, or because you're too timid. And now this is your invitation to see what's really going on and to be brave and to take action. And that is concerning for me just a little bit because this whole story, this whole event, it reminded me of the story of Lewis Arthur. And uh, this was a guy from Arizona who back in 2018, he caused uh, basically an international panic when he claimed that he found evidence of sex trafficking in the desert. He did not. But here's how that story was reported by the publication High Country News. Arthur had stumbled across the camp while canvassing the area for homeless vets. He posted an outraged rant on Facebook and started getting comments, a lot of them. When he posted videos arguing that there were probably bodies buried at the camp and that it was part of a network of Arizona sex trafficking sites, he topped 680,000 views in days. There was just one problem with Arthur's story. It wasn't true. Tucson police and sheriff's deputies both investigated the site and found nothing more than a former homeless camp. No evidence of sex trafficking. Arthur then claimed he and two friends had found proof, a child's skull. Officers sent the skull to Pima County Medical Examiner, who concluded that it had belonged to an adult and had been found miles away from the homeless camp. The story kept gaining life. From as far away as Australia, believers traveled to the Tucson desert to deliver vigilante justice to the sex traffickers. Their stories became more elaborate. The skull became a partial corpse. One person told me it was so fresh when it was found they saw it dripping. The camp became evidence of a massive pedophile ring implicating Semex, the Mexican cement company that owns the property. Some of Arthur's followers found more bones and suggested they came from people who had died terrible deaths, but the medical examiner analyzed them too and concluded they were animal remains. At least one was from a deer. I remember covering this years ago. Yeah, uh, But, you know, I was thinking, because like, here's the thing about Lewis Arthur, is that he kept thinking he found evidence of a child's sex ring and then getting other people to believe it because he assumed that evidence of it was everywhere. It had to be there because he was pilled and he was just convinced that if he, if he, all he had to do was look and look in the right way and he would just find evidence constantly. And it just wasn't true. But the thing about, you know, Lewis Arthur, he didn't have a General Flynn telling him, no, this is absolutely real. Get involved. Do it. You're doing a great job. But all those people in Arizona do. And if they, you know, they're, I assume some of those people in those rooms, they're going to participate in the six day event when they learn how to do, you know, stuff like, you know, counter surveillance and like, you know, you know, casing a house for sex trafficking and like all of these things that makes them feel like operators. So, I mean, I feel pretty confident <laughs> that probably sometime next year, probably in Florida, we're going to have a lot more incidents of people being falsely accused of sex trafficking, of more panics, of more uh, more citizens doing exactly this kind of thing. Yeah, I don't doubt it. I mean, they are stoking the flames of essentially a fever, just a mental fever that is taking over a portion of this population, convinced that they're surrounded by demonic spirits attempting to you know, coerce and capture their children. It's not good. No, of course. Yeah, like I said, it was just hurt innocent people and further, um, you know, make it harder to combat real sex trafficking. Thank you for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month. You'll get access to a full second episode every week, plus our entire archive of premium episodes. You'll also get access to our limited series. We currently have 
two 10-episode runs finished. One of them is called Trickle Down by Travis View. We have Annie and I who are finishing up the final episode of Man Clan, and we are in the throes of a certain type of spooky fever by Jake and Brad called The Spectral Voyager. For everything else, we've got a website, qanonanonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and everybody at that conference. (laughs) No, 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 no. Bless you and keep you. And maybe not keep the people at the conference, but not them. them. No. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto-cue. I mean, you may be thinking you're protecting them in one way, but you're not protecting them in another way. So, let me say it this way. If you're not in, in, in the life of your children and your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren, whatever, and something happens to them, you only have yourself to blame. You have to take accountability. It's your fault. I'm going to tell you. You can sit here and blame it on the predator all day long. But it's like saying, hey, I walked in that yard and that dog bit me. Well, who walked into the yard? You walked into the yard. So don't look for results that you didn't work for. And don't blame society when your kids get taken because you didn't monitor them in school, like Laura's talking about, or you didn't stand up for what was right. It will be your fault. It will be your fault. And you'll have to live with it the rest of your lives. Because when your children and your grandchildren are taken by these predators, the most horrible of things happens to them.